Am I sovereign? Am I personally sovereign? Now, I'm using the word sovereign the way that it was introduced to me by the neurohackers. And when I was listening... Yeah, you, to might, these... you might define that. Okay. Because people are so, not thinking about it like that. So this is a, this is a, this is a Civilization 2.0 uh, nomenclature. And to, to speak of being sovereign means that you are basically taking responsibility. Like Jordan Peterson says, you know, clean your room. Right? Take yeah. responsibility for yourself. You know, stand up straight with your shoulders back. Okay? Those are just basic common sense advice that's good for anybody to be told. This is, okay, because when you do those things, you're becoming more sovereign than you were otherwise, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and, but it, that's just the beginning. That's just like the baby steps in the right direction. When you are sovereign, then it's like you are able to um, be a force in the world, right? Yes, sir. Okay. So, now, the word sovereign, where it comes from in Civilization 1.0 that we're familiar with, mm-hmm. is it refers to king. The Caesar was sovereign. The, the king of England is sovereign. Mm-hmm. And then we think of nation-states as being sovereign. Right, right. So I was going to bring that up. You yeah, have the exactly. sovereign state of Alabama. Yeah. Okay, supposedly. Yeah, and, it's and, not really yeah, sovereign. Or the, <laughs> if they were... Because, it, if they were, they wouldn't be subject to the federal government. Correct. Yeah. So even in the Civilization 1.0, the word sovereign is a misnomer mm-hmm. when it's applied to states because states that call themselves being sovereign really aren't. Right. And so what we're trying to do is transition into Civilization 2.0 where the word sovereign becomes applied to the individual. You need to be sovereign as an individual, and that involves the choices you make, right? right. If you're going to take responsibility and start to say, okay, I, I feel a need to address this misconception or false authority in the world that other people hold, which is this idea uh, related to money, property, uh, the means of production, whatever it is that you identify as being the, the core issue that needs to, uh, the people, there needs to be a paradigm shift in the minds of uh, the humanity so that we can, so that we can evolve um, mentally, spiritually, and physically. You know, we need to get to the place where the human race is going to be, um, what am I saying here? Sovereign. Yes, as individuals. It comes back to individual. It's an individual choice and responsibility. We, as individuals, have to do that. And when we collectively do that, enough people do that collectively. Then things change. Right. Yes, sir. So that's a bottom-up thing. That is And it's not a top-down. No, sir. Civilization 1.0 is top-down. It is top-down, and it has been from the very beginning. Revealing truth by exposing lies. What does that mean? That means that on this podcast, we're going to talk about a variety of subjects, but we have an intention in mind, and that is to move beyond political ideology, religious dogmatism, tribalism, and nationalism, even beyond personal opinion, beyond false authorities that so many people don't even question, and taking you, the audience, someplace that you may not be quite ready to go, to that place beyond us and them. You think that's going to mess with the sound? What, the birds in the background? No, no, the window down. Oh, don't worry about it. Nobody's listening to this podcast anyway. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I mean, it might, this episode... There's two of us and only on occasion. <laughs> 
Well, you know, I mean, I think what we talk about is is interesting, and that's why I'm recording it for posterity. But the truth is, you know, the last episode might have been downloaded six times. Yeah. Yeah. That's so by I mean, those four people we forced to with a baseball bat, and then I downloaded it. And well, two of them are me. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, then the four other four must have been me threatening people, but anyway. I don't understand. I mean, I, I thoroughly enjoy having conversations with you, Dwight. We, yeah. uh, we we spark off each other, and a lot of ideas get shared. And you know, it just it's fun. Yeah, it is. Yeah, oh, it's man. become like a highlight for you, and get yeah. away from your mon- get, the mundane life, or get the... away from the mundane, and talk about uh, you know, like we were talking about civilization 2.0, and yeah, like yeah, some heavy uh, concepts, some you know, really heavy stuff that I'd like to talk about. But uh, you're the only person I really have. Well, I got another person, a friend of mine, Josh, who was supposed to be here but didn't. Um, <clears throat> he and I talk about that stuff too, you know. Right. But uh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's something I'll have enjoyable. to meet Josh. Sounds like it, it, he and I would probably find a lot to talk about. Yeah, and, and I'd probably need to leave the room, but you know. Huh. <laughs> So he takes the the right wing position. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Josh takes the right wing position. He's yeah. the he. Uh, I got him into conspiracy theories. Oh, you did. Yeah, I'm the one. I'm the monster. You creator. created the the golem. I created the golem, dude. Wow. I did, and I'm like, oh boy, what have I done? But yeah, I got him into it, and then he, uh, of course, since he's at home all the time, he just took it and ran with it. You know, went all the way down the rabbit hole. Yeah, oh man, he's been so far down the rabbit hole. So he's uh, he's he's educated you on a lot of subjects then. Actually, but, he has, yeah. And and still, you maintain this uh, air of superiority that kind of <laughs> <laughs> you still have this. Um, Are yeah. you freaking serious? You know, yeah, it's you're, it's only because I'm right and you're wrong. You know, it's no it's big this, deal. It's this. <laughs> it's this typical typical liberal aloof. Oh. Attitude yes. that um, no, there can't be conspiracies. That you know, that's just uh, you know, that's just a misunderstanding of the facts. I'm so stuck up that I believe that everyone should be equal. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. Now listen. Now here's the deal on the conspiracy thing. I don't know why we're talking about this. Well, we're going to get into the medical conspiracy, yeah, now, man. Now some of that, dude. I'm going to roll with you. Okay, on, okay, okay, okay. But the the thing about it is is like. Not everything. everything. You know what? You know what? You know what the truest statement in all of human history is. You ready for this? Hit me. I'm going to hit you. I hope all three of you people out there that are listening <laughs> uh, write this down because it's something you'll need. Here we go. Yes, I'm being superior, and I'm saying this. Here we go. Shit happens. All right. Yeah. It's the bumper sticker should happen. Shit happens. Right okay, out of so, the. Um, that's deep, man. That's deep, dude. So uh, tell me why it's deep, because it just went right over my head. <laughs> well, okay. So, okay, let's roll with We're it. We're talking is... about conspiracy. Okay, let's talk about conspiracy. So here's the deal. Is there Are there conspiracies? Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. There's conspiracies. Yeah. Not everything is a conspiracy. Okay, well, wait, wait. We have to define the term conspiracy, which, that's boring, so let's just skip that. <laughs> yeah, um, right. Yeah, um, let's, let's, right. Okay, here's, okay, here's what I had to say. Yeah, go this ahead. This is a new Let thought. This is a new idea. Go, baby, okay? go. I go. told you that I got turned on to these neurohacker guys, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was listening to them talk, and they were talking about the way Civilization uh, 1.0, uh, why things happen. Uh, it's, you know, we could, we could say that it, this all just emerged because of the capitalist system. Earlier when we were talking about this 
bef- in our pregame show, right. we were talking about um, how the incentives in Civilization 1.0 are all messed up. Because, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a cop is supposed to catch the bad guys, but he, then he, he has an addiction to pills, so he ended up stealing from the locker, and, and he, right. he's probably selling the shit on the side. Right, and so and, we assume everyone in authority is actually on our side or doing their job, and so that's... And, and, and you know what's really funny is, thinking about this cop, he was not elected. He was hired. But not only was he hired, but he basically wanted to put himself in that position of false authority as a, because he knew he had a problem, and this was a great way for him to hide his problem great and also him. get his fix at the yeah, same exactly. time. Exactly. That double whammy. Yeah, and, as, exactly. and I related it to like being someone who's homosexual and becoming a priest in the Catholic Church. Now, okay. that might offend some people. Um, <laughs> and I did correct you and say, you mean pedophile. Because not all homosexuals are pedophiles. No, you can As a matter of fact, them, very few of them are pedophiles. You can call them whatever you want to. I just okay. call them priests. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> no, Politically I mean... correct 101. <laughs> Go Mark. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you see what I'm saying, though? There, you've got a... You've got a cop who has who has I, I call it false authority yeah. because he's wearing a gun and a badge and he's going to tell you you can't walk down the sidewalk because it's closing time uh, or whatever the you know whatever you know and you see other he's people he's referring to something that just happened to us a few <laughs> seconds ago. Oh, this wasn't a cop, but he was like I don't know he was a fireman or what the hell he was. No, but, he was like a hired security dude or something. Could, I don't yeah, know. some yeah. So, we're at the Dogwood Festival here in Silent Springs, and I love the Dogwood Festival. It's beautiful, but it's mm-hmm. Closing time, the band was shutting down, people were going home, so he's blocking this public sidewalk and telling us we had to walk in the street. And we agreed to do that, and I explained that, you know, there was a time in my life when I was under the influence of certain things when uh, that would have been an opportunity for me to go to jail. Because I would have... I would have been. I would have challenged his false authority uh, in the in the most extreme way. The only thing that tripped me out on this, I didn't think too much about it. You know, you know, I'm like easygoing. You know, my buddy Raindrop, he just goes with the flow. You right. Know? So I'm easygoing. But the thing that got me the most about this was a guy is acting like a cop, and he's telling me it's legal to walk down the middle of the road. Where cars normally are, but it's not legal for me to walk down the sidewalk mm-hmm. where people normally are. See, now, and what I'm trying to explain to you <laughs> is if I was stoned, yeah. I would stop yeah. and engage that guy. Uh-huh. And those thoughts are the thoughts that would come percolating to the surface. And I would, I would, I would make those arguments to him. Uh. I, and see... And, and as I was making those arguments, more arguments would percolate to the surface. Mm. And that percolation of ideas is what gives me a tingly sensation mm. all over. And knowing that I am going to keep pushing until I get to the point where I say, Fuck you, pig, take me to jail. <laughs> Fuck you, pig, take me to jail. Now, if I was stoned, <laughs> I would have said, Okay, dude. <laughs> Which is what you did. I'm sorry, what did you say? Where were we going? <laughs> <laughs> that's what I would say if I was stoned. But. See, that's like that's like. See, I don't know what the term. I don't know what that is. Like passive aggressive kind of thing. You would be like, you would be not submitting to the false authority, uh-huh. but you'd be rebelling in your own way. Yeah. It's not confrontational. It's, it's just what like, I do. Man. It's like the dude, you know, and yeah. the big Lebowski. Yeah, he's my hero, man. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, my favorite line is where he's talking to the Big Lebowski in his mansion, uh-huh. and the guy's like, you go out, 
looking for a job on a weekday, dressed like that? And uh-huh. and the dude kind of like, he, he lets out a little, and yeah. then he looks around the room, and he goes, uh, what day is it, man? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that's it. That's awesome. That's like, I mean, that's just his way of... Of you know not not participating in, in not allowing these reactionary conservatives to get under right, his skin. Right, that's it, and that's and if you're a leftist like me and you look at the world as inherently unequal and unfair and inherently biased and harmful, you have two choices: you can take up a gun and get yourself shot, or and roll with the flow and wait. Until the change happens. And that's the way I look at it. That's what I do. Because I don't want to be in jail. Well, so, see, me on the other hand. <laughs> yeah, I, you on the other hand is a different story. I don't have, uh, there's no wife and kids. You right, know, it's yeah. like It's like, you're, you pick the wrong person to mess with. If, you, <laughs> if you're going to come at me, you're going to come at me with some false authority, guess what? But you just become my personal project. Right. And I don't, I don't care. If it means I'm going to spend the night in jail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'd like to see you slap the cuffs on me. Go right, ahead. Right, right, You think you think you're man enough to do that? <laughs> well, now, here's here's the deal. Here's the deal. All right, now we're going off on a tangent. We don't know what the hell we're talking we about. We don't know what the hell we're talking about. So much for whatever. medical conspiracy. <laughs> right. We'll get into that sooner or later, man. Yeah, go ahead. But, uh, okay, so so here's the deal. Um, what I what I really want, and what I've always wanted, <clears throat> even from back in high school days when me and Mark were, were still having these stupid conversations, is what I really want is, so at some point, if the universe allows it to happen, for people to actually listen to us, wade through all the bullshit, and really get to the serious stuff. And here's the serious stuff that I want to get out. Mm-hmm. The serious stuff about that I want to get out is the world is inherently unfair and there are hierarchies that that make oppression happen every day and that it is our job as human beings to fight those hierarchies and we can fight them in whatever way we can mm-hmm. but you can you can take up a gun and you can go like mm-hmm. like um, what did John Lennon said. You can go carrying pictures of Chairman Mao, but ain't nobody gonna listen to you anyhow, right? I don't care about Chairman Mao. He's not a socialist. He was a fascist, but whatever. Okay. So the idea is is what I really want is for people to know the truth about what socialism is, and no. I think even speaking from Marx's point of view, what anarchy truly is. Are you saying Marx is in referring to me or Marx is in Karl Marx? No, I'm talking about you. Okay. I mean, like anarchy, well, like genuine anarchy. Yeah, I right? think we, we share kind of an anarchist spirit. Yeah, we do. Words of a feather right. uh, in that respect. Now, uh, I come at it from the right, you come at it from the left, right. but this is the common ground. We, we want to transition from Civilization 1.0 into Civilization 2.0. Right. And the question is, how do we get there? And the first thing we have to do is identify the problems, because we can't, mm-hmm. we're not going to create a new civilization that's going to be some utopia. That's just to repeat the mistakes of the past. Exactly. You get, um, you get 6 million Jews dead, yeah. you get 12 million... Um, 235 million um, people killed by Russians the government. murdered, you right. know, you get all this kind of stuff. So 13 million Ukrainians, let's not forget. Yeah, so, exactly. Not to mention the the, uh, the uh, black army that was actually in Ukraine, and they actually had a genuine socialist society. There was no government. There was no uh, 
uh, hierarchy and everything was owned in worker cooperatives. It was working great until Lenin said, no, we don't like that. We want the Russians to be in charge here. And it was crushed in 1922. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yes, sir. Look it up. Well, I, I, also, the, I mentioned the 13 million people who died in the Ukraine, mm-hmm. and that was because Lenin had a, <clears throat> he, he had a, a, a angst against uh, Ukrainians. He was prejudiced against Ukrainians. And I think you're... He allowed the starvation to happen. It was part of the plan. It was, yeah. He wanted to wipe them out. Yeah, because he was Russian. Right. Yep. So, that again, it goes to the tribalism. It goes to and the, the tribalism and the nationalism. Yes, That's yes. what it goes to. So what I want to get across is that socialism is not about... Russian communism or, or, you know, Fidel Castro or Chairman Mao or any of that kind of stuff. What socialism is, is where the people who work own where they're working. And that private property is, sure, you can have, a, you can, you can have private property, but you, everyone owns the means of production. And there is equality and there is a spirit of cooperation. Now, that's going to be really hard to get from the the uh, selfishness that's been programmed into our mind. Well, see, you keep saying that you keep this is your mantra mm-hmm. um, that you want people to understand yeah. socialism as you under, define it to be mm-hmm. that the, the workers control the means of production. Yes. And um, that's fine. You can keep saying that as I many will. times as you want. <laughs> Until and, I get tired. You know, I'm giving you a platform to say that. Yeah, you know, great. So, um, so what do you so, want the world to know? Well, in response, in my counterbalance to that yeah. is that my thing is that I want money to be divorced from uh, and separated from uh, government. So, you know, we yeah. started this country where we divided church and state. You know, the whole idea that you don't have to be a, a member of the Anglican church to, to vote. Mm-hmm. Right, that was an early idea that came about. We said separate church and state because we came from England. We knew what the problems were over there, and so the idea of a separation of church and state that doesn't mean that there's no place for religious people in public life. That's like a perversion of the idea. Yes, it but is. It is. Yeah. What we're talking about is the idea that we don't <laughs> want to have a single religion like like Anglican Church that you have to be a member of the Anglican Church in order to participate in the democratic process and vote. Mm-hmm. And so. There were other uh, requirements, like you had to be a property owner, own a business, or you know, be a white male. Um, and I think we should keep the property. That would have been a good thing. But man, you and I disagree that's about this. That's where we disagree on. This is but where, that's we, okay. this is where we have a different view. Yeah. But what where I'm coming at this whole thing, what I want people to know and think about is the idea that we that separating church and state was a good idea. And I say now it's time to separate money and state. Okay. So if we put these ideas together, and because that. It's never been technically possible to separate money and state in no. the past. But now, because of the Bitcoin technology, we can decentralize money <clears throat> and we can, we can take it out of the hands of the government. And so now there's a, there's a working uh, means of, of exchanging cash and money uh, using Bitcoin that's uh, no longer tied to the false authority of a state. And so you've removed the banks, and the and that it means you remove the one percent, the oligarchy, right? You know? So now you have money that's con- that the, you have the legacy system that it continues, you know, with these worthless pieces of paper that we all just put our faith in that are backed by nothing, mm-hmm. right? And and then and then you have Bitcoin uh, that is a limited resource that's backed by the hashing power of computers worldwide and electricity, and it. There actually took resources to bring it into existence, and there's a limited supply, so the value keeps going up over time, just like gold and silver. Yeah. So, so now you've got money that's completely separated from banks and government, the false authorities. And so, you know, I don't have any problem with that at all. Because Put what, these ideas together, Yeah, though. what that does is that puts the power back into the hands of the people. 
which is what I want. I, yeah, yeah. I, you know, because you know, if if you're talking about if you're talking about money, now you and I would differ on what the meaning of property is. I know because that's the key to capitalism versus socialism. But um, you know, the idea of put, you know, I'm all for anything that puts the power back into the hands of the people. Well, you keep saying the people, and I, if you said the individual, I would agree with you. But when every time you say the people, I'm starting to, I'm wondering like, okay, is this you know Chairman Mao talking here? Or well, what I mean, what I mean is this. What I mean is that uh, anything that equalizes people. Yeah. So the word sovereign is what we were talking about earlier because mm-hmm. I, I got turned on to these guys uh, that are talking about the subject of civilization 2.0, and there's people uh, like Jordan. Uh, Greenhall or Jordan Hall, uh, he, he that's his, his name now is Jordan Hall. That was his original name, but he's going back to it. Anyway, uh, really smart guy. Um, uh, I sent him an email. I said I'd like to do a podcast with him. You know, I mean, this guy is like, I don't. I'm not just blowing smoke. You know. Because I'm hoping that he hears me say this, but I, I'm like that'll be about 30 years from now. <laughs> I'm telling you, I mean, there's like two guys at the top of my list that I would like to meet and interview that are like super smart. Mm-hmm. Daniel, um, uh, Jeff Daniels, and uh, and 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 this um, Jordan Green Hall. Green Hall. Uh, so Hall. they both write for some. They publish articles sometimes um, on this website or news article website called Medium. I don't know if you've ever happened to fall onto this website, Medium, but like the smartest people on the planet are writing articles and they're being published. And you have to subscribe. You can't just you can't just go there and read it. You could do it once or twice, but then you have to become a paid subscriber. Uh-huh. And I'm telling you, it's worth it. I know I don't have any money, but if I did, uh, <laughs> uh, I would I would put that on the top of my list. I would because there's some really smart guys, and these are the people I would like to interview at some point. You know, and these guys are talking about stuff like what he's famous for having written an article called "The Blue Church versus Red Religion," and he explains very. Oh yeah. Yeah, oh, baby, he, go. He, 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 preach on. Let's hear he, it. Go. Okay, the blue church. Now you already you've never heard this term before, right? No, but I but know immediately. Immediately, your I got brain blue, lights up. Blue Democrat, red Republican. You know Republican, what this means? Red conservative, blue liberal, exactly. progressive. So yeah. you've got you know we talk about the the blue states like along the coastline where all the mm-hmm. liberals live in San Francisco, New York, etc. So when we say blue church, the thing immediately you assume you you can gather from that is that. The, uh, the the liberal Democrats uh, and anybody that might be associated within that um, sphere of influence of thought is falls into the category what we're calling the blue church. Okay. Okay. And uh, and then you've got all the people in the middle of the country in the red states that voted for Trump. Yeah. Okay. And that shop at Walmart. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and and they buy the hat that says "Make America Make Great America Again." America Great Again. Um, yeah. And they buy it at Walmart. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. um and um and uh, anyway oh, so that's the red cut, tax cut tax the, cut go ahead that's sorry. the red religion yeah yeah. Build okay. a wall, build a wall. Yeah, build, build a wall, wall, build a wall. So, so they'll crawl under. So the build the build the wall crowd <laughs> is the red religion. Yeah. Yep. And, and these two things are in conflict. I right? see. So when you say red religion and blue church, you're not really talking about different versions of Christianity. You're talking about different worldviews, well, different, different ideologies that replace religion. In right. A sense. Yes, so they, sir. So what we have is now the blue church thought for sure that Hillary was going to win. Yes. Big mistake. Right. Yep. And so they're out of touch. Is the argument that's being made here? Uh-huh. Is that the blue church 
didn't realize that there's a that they're in conflict with red religion, and, mm -hmm. and they didn't know that there was a, this vast you know sea of people in this red uh, religion that are out there, and it's you know this is this is the, basically the argument that's being made, and so now uh, everybody's got to try to recalculate how they're going to present how, what what that means moving forward, mm -hmm. right? And so there's a lot of questions about this. So um, Jordan Hall talks about this, and there's a very excellent video where he talks about this, and uh, it's worth it's worth watching because you know. So anyway, from that was my introduction to the gentleman, and uh -huh. from there I found out that he uh, started getting together with a couple of other really smart guys, and they started what they call Neurohacker. Okay. Okay. And these guys are interested in. Um, Transitioning from Civilization 1.0 to Civilization 2.0, and their their argument is that this blue state uh, red religion is basically the collapse of civilization. That's what they say is happening. They say the whole thing is coming. Oh down. yeah, sure. Because you, you you again, you're dividing into two camps, basically. So they're saying that's the collapse of civilization, it's, or just American civilization. Well, it's a, it's symbolic of what's going. You know, I mean, or, I don't know if I don't know how if you can draw a parallel between those two things, but the, say Western civilization because you have yeah so you have progressive and you have populism basically or you you know there's a there's a lot of problems going sure. on here and we're, so anybody who can step back and look at it from with some perspective would argue would make the case that uh, we're in a transition period from a uh, the way things have always been throughout human history. You were talking the other day about how things double, you know, what would you... Yeah, the you, doubling time. The doubling yeah, time. Yeah, what doubling time refers to is how long it takes for the entire human species to double its amount of knowledge. And in, you know, past centuries, it's it's always been in centuries that it took. The doubling time, last I heard, was eight years, and it's soon to move up to six or four. So, in other words, what that means is eight years ago... Now we know, tw now as a species, we know twice as much as what we did eight years ago. But some, you know, for, for centuries, doubling time was a hundred years. It took that long. Yeah. But now it's increasing exponentially. Right. So, you know, uh, maybe you could even maybe say 10 years ago, it, the doubling time was 20 years, but now it's eight years. And maybe next year, the doubling time will be two years. So we don't know. It just, it keeps increasing. Each well, time. I'm going to go back to something you said about you were describing the, the common ground and the fact that we are both kind of anarchists at yes. heart. Yeah. Uh, if you define, it depends on how you define that term. But yeah, which <clears> is very important. Yeah, because that word can be misapplied. Um, we are not um, Molotov cocktail throwing, mohawk yeah. wearing, yeah. post-apocalyptic '80s anti-heroes. No, we're not no. that. The idea of capitalism is immediately not anarchy because it sets up a hierarchy. Well, yeah, there's a contradiction in terms here. Yes, right? but I'm not averse to the to the word capitalism because I do think that property is key, and sure. so I'm still operating with that what you might call civilization 1.0 mm. mentality. And well, it depends. You got to define civilization 2.0 to know if you're operating from civilization 1.0 mentality or not. Exactly right? right. So, you know, I'm you open. the same for me. I'm in transition, you know, and yeah. I think the whole world is in transition. Yeah. One way of framing it is that we are smack dab in the middle of a global scale civilization level collapse. Um, now, if we do our job right, it will be a transition to something else. But right now, we're, you know, collapse is a good way of thinking about what's happening. 
And what I mean by global scale is that for the very first time in human history, starting somewhere maybe in the 80s, all human beings were roughly entrained in a single civilization framework. That's never happened before. And then uh, now that civilization framework is reaching its end of life. And what I mean by civilization is roughly the things like the, the axioms, the assumptions, the heuristics, the models, the practices, the institutions that we humans use to solve problems and to make our, 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 meet our needs. An insight, and I think a core thing for more and more people to really grasp is that our civilization toolkit, this thing that has gotten us so far, this thing that has produced seven and a half billion people in a level of capacity and wealth and well-being that's never been seen before, is itself the thing that has reached its end. It just can't solve the problems that we're facing. And by the way, it's also falling apart under its own terms, but that's a different conversation. And so what we have to do is we have to figure out first how to uh, unload that toolkit, unload our assumptions, unload the things that have worked so well, and get all the way down to the deep code and rebuild something kind of from scratch. And we're going to have to do this very rapidly. Um, so this involves something that we've never done before as, as a people. Right? It's going to require a level of vision. It's going to require a level of communion. It's going to require a level of peace that is, I mean, largely is considered to be fiction or prophecy, and now it's not. Now it is, in fact, minimum necessary requirements, which is kind of an interesting thing. You know, sometimes uh, I find myself sitting, uh, Daniel and I work together in a, in a business, and sitting in the room having a conversation about businessy things, and I'll just reflect and say, gosh, last night I was having conversations with people that it's quite likely within the next seven years our oceans will just be dead. Um, and that's the clock, and these are the things that we're dealing with. And we were talking outside that Daniel uh, wants to make sure that as we're communicating, that people are, are left here with a sense of empowerment and not a sense of panic or fear. Um, and what I'd like to convey is a sense of resolve, which is recognize that we must, in fact, actually step in and that fear and panic, although they may be a very natural response, just aren't a useful response. Okay, so that's, that's that part. Now, I think most of what we're going to be talking about is actually pretty intellectual. Um, that is not to say that we believe that the solution is, in fact, even largely intellectual. There is a piece for the mind to play. Um, but, in fact, some of the questions that came from Facebook, the basic answer is heart. So I think this is a great place to begin the conversation, uh, I guess, publicly. One concept that I'd like to, to download before I hand off to Daniel is a framework that a friend of mine um, Dave Snowden, not Ed Snowden, but Dave Snowden, uh, introduced about 10 years ago for uh, thinking about the different kinds of ordered systems that we find ourselves in. All right, so you ready? This is a very intellectual framework, but I think we can do it uh, quickly. The first kind of system is a simple system. And this is something like the way a, a, a pendulum swings back and forth or a game of tic-tac-toe, where the, the phase space, which is the, the state the set of, of available states in the system is relatively small. Like the total number of, of tic-tac-toe games you can fit on a page. It's not that many things. And so even a child can sit and observe the system for a while, get the whole thing, understand what to do, and master it. Right? So that's a, that's a simple system. A complicated system is the sort of thing that we humans, our civilization, is very, very good at building. 
Uh, these are things like, say, the Boeing 777 or the National Energy Grid or Interstate Highway System, things that are extremely large phase spaces, a whole bunch of states that the system is, is able to handle, so much more that, that no person could ever really grasp them in their entirety. You could never master them. But if you spend enough time with them, you can build up an expertise and understand what the states are and how they interact. And if you get a, a, a crew of people who are all experts in the system, you can begin to manage it. And that idea, this notion of becoming experts and managing complicated systems is a, kind of a, a succinct way of framing what we do, what our civilization is extraordinarily good at doing. Now, the thing about complicated systems that distinguishes them from complex systems is although the phase space is very large, it doesn't change. Right? So once you've figured out the Boeing 777, you can print out the whole manual, put it aside, and look it up, and, th and that's that. In a complex system, things do change. Now, what's interesting about complex systems is, on the one hand, it's only been about three or four decades that we've even been thinking about them seriously. Like, the name isn't even more than three decades old. And we're just really beginning to get a handle on what these things are and how they operate. And on the other hand, things like our bodies, our minds, our relationships, our ecology, our economies, those are all complex systems, which is to say all the stuff we actually care about is complex. And a big part of the game that we've been playing as people for the past, I don't know, 15,000 years at least, has been trying to use complicated stuff to manage complex stuff. And this generates a real problem. You see, in a complex system, things like causation is, are almost impossible to really figure out. You, know, you, you can't make predictions with precision about exactly what your impact is going to have on the system. Feedback loops, feed forward loops, emergent properties, new, new capacities that didn't even exist, evolution. These are all characteristics of complexity. And one of the big problems, and in some sense a, a, a nature of the, the problem we're facing, is that when you have a complicated system, trying to manage a complex system, as the complex system changes, which is what it's going to do, the complicated system has to become more complicated to deal with the, the, the failure modes. And so it gets more and more complicated and more and more complicated until eventually it's so complicated that you can't manage it. And then it has to do something that Dave Snowden calls takes a journey through chaos. And chaos is the fourth kind of system. Now we don't like chaos. Chaos is, is, is generally a very sad place to be. And we might even want to say that we don't want to take a journey through chaos, but it seems unfortunately rather unlikely we're going to be able to do that because every single time a truly complicated system has to adapt to a complexity it can't manage, the way that it breaks down is disorderly and it goes through chaos and then you come back into authentic complexity. So it might be the case, and something to consider, that our job right now is twofold. First is to figure out how to position ourselves so that we can in fact endure the chaos possibly even be anti-fragile to the chaos and use the chaos to build something very positive. And then second, to do what we can now to envision what a future looks like that embraces complexity authentically. And does not try to tame complexity, but works with complexity and build a civilization or whatever we would want to call it, and maybe something completely different, that is directly related to the natural dynamics of complexity. And that's the whole thing. Now, I, just to go back to what you were saying earlier is you were saying that you feel deeply, and I, you think that I feel the same way, and I, I will concur, I do feel deeply the need to address false authority when I encounter it. In other words, 
uh, how did you how did you say it? Went to truth. I think you used the word truth, or like when so, you you think it's important that you correct somebody. Uh, what were your words exactly? To fight those hierarchies, and we can fight them in whatever way we can. Mm-hmm. We're like two sides of the same coin. Like uh-huh. you're you're saying you feel like there's a you have a duty to to make people aware, right? Yes. yes. Okay. And I'm saying on the flip side of that coin, I have the duty and responsibility to confront false authority. Right. Okay. So you're not a confrontationalist like I am. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm more aggressive. Yeah. And you're, that's you're just Wilbur the way my raindrop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, that's just my temperament. You know, mm-hmm. like yeah. Um, what's that uh, Ingram uh, personality? Yeah, the Enneagram. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Enneagram. I think that's what it was. I'm the peacemaker. Right. And um, the healer. And I think. You referred to yourself as a straight up asshole or something. Yeah. I don't know. I'm an eight. <laughs> You're an eight. Yeah. yeah an eight. Okay. Eight is like almost belligerent aggression. Right. So, um, you know, and but no, I'm a uh, I'm I'm an easygoing guy uh-huh. uh, until I get my hackles up. Until I get my you know. Well, I mean, and, and, and it takes false authority to set me off. Yeah, I think and, I think with you, what it takes false authority to set you off. What sets me off is injustice. That well, that's an, to me, it's me an injustice. Up. False authority is an injustice. Well, Waiting to f***ing happen. <laughs> well, what I, what I mean is like um, an injustice. Well, let me put it another way. Uh, what's the best way to think what about it? What I'm saying it? is if I don't stand up to these f***ers, then, then I'm just letting them carry on like it's okay, and they're going to do the same thing to the next guy, and there's going to be an injustice. What I'm saying is if I don't stand up for the people who are oppressed... And give them encouragement and give them instruction so mm-hmm. that when they, because I work with kids, when they get older, they are able to do the same thing or yeah. do the thing yeah, that yeah. you're doing. Yeah. That's my job. No, I get you. Yeah, so, I mean, that's uh, the way I feel about it. it. It's like um, a man, being a, part of being a man, right, is <clears throat> taking responsibility and saying, okay, um, I'm going to do what needs to be done here to ensure that the... the that the world is a better place, that civilization is a better place, that, that that our community works, that, you know, I'm not going to let some uh, wolf in sheep's clothing come into our little church and, and destroy it. Um, I, I'm, I'm not going to let somebody, uh, I, I love my family, that means I hate anything that threatens to destroy it. You know, that, these are the kinds of things that, that make men um, be men, you know what I mean? Right. And I think we're both in agreement on that. And we just have different temperaments, D- different, different ways personalities, of going about it. Yeah. But you want to stand up by giving people encouragement, by giving people mm-hmm. and, and uh, by edifying and uplifting and, and providing. The, those are feminine. I think of as being like motherly, nurturing kinds of fine. qualities. Yeah, and and not to say anything against you as a man, but I no. but a man needs to have those uh, qualities. You know, to those are important. So, um, and. My thing, on the other hand, is to, rather than uh, nurture someone and encourage them, although I, that's a big part of what I feel is important and what I try to do as well, but my nature is more inclined to uh, dig my heels in when somebody comes at me with a, sir, 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 <laughs> sir, sir, <laughs> sir. I'll tell, tell you, as you're saying this, for for, you know, the... One person out there that, that might actually be, you know, a churchgoer, which I imagine most of you all have probably turned that off by now. But uh, anyway. Uh, or turned us off. Y- yeah, or turned other. us off. Not the church, but us for sure. Uh, but, you you know, your discussion makes me think of Barnabas and Paul. Yeah. Barnabas means the son of encouragement. Yeah. And I was the one. Right. 
you know, I'm I, I'm the nurturer, I'm the encourager, right. and Paul was the one that got up there and went all across the world and stood yes. right up to the Roman authorities and he was an eight and said, well, yeah, he was an eight. He was and an eight. So, yeah. uh, frankly, it took both. Yeah. To 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 make that work. Yeah. You know, Paul Paul gets a lot of the credit because um, he's you know he's out there and he he wrote most you know most of the New Testament. But if it wasn't for Barnabas. Taking him by the hand and taking him to the apostles and standing up for him, there never would have been a Paul. So both are we all both have our necessary. blind spots, don't we? Yeah, we yeah, all have our spots, yeah. and it's we were created that way. If you want to bring God into the conversation, yeah, I well, think there's I'm a, to, yeah. um, you, you know, I, I there's no denying the fact that um, you know there's different personality types, different temperaments, and people have different strengths and weaknesses, and you know, I. Uh, the more you study this, you know, whether it be Myers Briggs personality types, uh, whether it be different types of intelligence, mm-hmm. what, uh, or if it be this enneagram, enneagram, yeah, yeah, and then there's also the Big Five that uh, Jordan Peterson talks about, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, these are all good ways of measuring the fact that some people are going to excel in one area or another, and right, and sometimes you know, some people are more prone to making money in other in the current culture that we have. Uh, and so when we're talking about transitioning into Civilization 2.0, one of the, you, you like to use the word um, egalitarianism. And one of, the, one of the things that I observe, and there's no denying this, there's, a, there's inequality in our, in our yes. Civilization yes, 1.0. Yes, there is. Yes, there and is. So there's the a point of starvation. Yeah, yeah, the, the wealth is disproportionately uh, represented by people who have the certain temperament, personality types, whatever, uh, or to be able to thrive under the capitalist system and then they're born into it and yeah so how do we is that a problem do we need to fix it um for i know your answer is yes right emphatically okay so i'm not disagreeing with you but that's not my driver yeah okay that's not what drives me Mm -hmm. but i don't disagree with that i'm just saying that there's a lot of other things that need to be addressed as well well, and, and I'm not going to disagree with that. It's just because of my turn. Uh, that's what I tend to focus on. I'm not going to make the, the, you know, pardon me for saying something against, you know, Lord Marx, but I'm not going to make the, the, the mistake of Marx in saying that it's all about class struggle, you know. And I agree with Jordan Peterson a little bit on that. But... I think that um, there's a word that I learned when I was in graduate school, big fancy word. I think it's kind of cool. It's called isomorphic. And isomorphic means that where, let's see how do I put this into, how do I put it into words? Um, one thing is representative of another thing. And in the idea of counseling, if you work on one thing, then the other thing will be affected as well. So let's say that the uh, the class struggle that Marx pointed out is isomorphic to other injustices in our society. So from that perspective, you could say if you work on the class struggle, then the other parts of society will be affected in a positive way as well. I tend to focus on class struggle. I'm not going to disagree with you and say that there's a lot of other problems. Uh, I still have a tendency to think that it has to do with hierarchy. Um, you know, the poor fat schmuck that told us to walk down the street like a moron. That was hierarchy. Yeah, I mean, I shouldn't let something like that bother me. It's just juvenile to get upset. This is why I, need, I, I, I stay away from drugs. Because yeah. when if I, if, I, if I do some kind of drug, like smoking weed even, I can focus on like fault, fighting some false authority, which is just some stupid 
wannabe cop. Yeah. And and that's not where the fight is. That's no. not where I need to be fight. That's not where the battle needs to be fought. That's like stupid. Yes. And you know what? I'm gonna. I wanna. I wanna go off on this, man. We're talking about stuff that's really close to my heart. I don't know why I didn't have anything to do with medicine, but here we go. Um, that's what they want, dude. That's what they want. If we are worrying about some rent-a-cop telling us which side of the street to walk down on, and we get hooked up about that, then guess what we're not worried about? We're not worried about the fact that the Walton family owns 32% as much as the bottom 32% of all of Americans, and that's concentrated in the hands of 24 people. So... How is that right? Now, I can talk about the cop that made us walk down the street, or I can talk about, you know, somebody who speaks a different language than me, or I can talk about somebody who's of a different religion than me, and that makes people like the Waltons happy as clams, because we're not talking about them. And all this idea of racism, all this idea of small-town stuff, keeps our eyes away from the ones that keep us in wage slavery, they keep us in poverty, they keep us struggling for our next paycheck, they keep us under the authority of the cops. Stop me whenever I get done, or whenever you get tired of hearing me, okay? They keep us under this, like what Mark says, false authority of the capitalist system. And all and all we do is we argue about this, and we look at Donald Trump, and we worry about him being an idiot, which he is, and that's fine. And the Democrats are doing one thing, and the Republicans are doing another thing. But meanwhile... The people at the very top could care less so long as Tweedledee or Tweedledum stays in office and they can keep their money and keep their power. That's what I have a problem with. Yeah, the system is designed uh, to perpetuate itself. You know, we have, uh, you, you know, I was talking about the rent-a-cop and, and I was using that as a symbol of, you know, the police department. I made reference to police officers that were... Yeah, and I did too. Yeah, yeah. okay. And, you know... Um, but then in the next breath, I said, well, it kind of reminds me of the Catholic the priests in the Catholic Church. Because this is another false authority. So it's not just capitalism that's the only false authority in the world. Okay, I'm going have re- We have the religion as a false authority. Yes. You have a priest that stands between you and God. Okay, that's a false authority. That is a false authority. Okay, because it's just you and God. Okay, you don't need, there's no, there's no intermediary between you unless it's Christ. Okay, yeah. not a priest, not some, you know, so, so there's lots of examples of false authority in the world. And like, I, I come back to this, ultimately, the Buddhist enlightenment that I've come to and studying Eastern philosophy and realizing that I, you know, that I, I can call myself being a Christian and fight against the false authorities everywhere outside of me. But what I, what I gain from Eastern philosophy mm. is that the real false authority is inside of me. Yep. Okay, so all the theology, all of the political ideology that I have accumulated in my life is just an indoctrination to look at the outside world, the exterior world, and make judgments about it and say, this is a false authority, I reject that. This is a false authority, I reject that. But ultimately, am I sovereign? Am I personally sovereign? If I can't hold down a job, I can't avoid... Uh, drunk and fall down on the ground, how am I sovereign if I'm drunk and, and I'm in the ditch? Right, that's right. Okay, and I can't hold down a job, I'm using drugs, I'm, you know, I'm going from relationship to relationship, but there's a trail, a wake of destruction in my path, you know, that's not being sovereign. No. Okay, now I'm using the word sovereign the way that it was introduced to me by the neurohackers, and you know, I was listening. Yeah, you to might these... you might define that. Okay, because people are so, not thinking about it like that. So this is a this is a this is a civilization 2.0 uh, nomenclature, and to, to speak of being sovereign means that you are 
basically taking responsibility. Like um, Jordan Peterson says, you know, um, clean your room, right? Take yeah. responsibility for yourself. You know, stand up straight with your shoulders back, okay? Those are just basic common sense advice that's good for anybody to be told. This is, okay, because when you do those things, you're becoming more sovereign than you were otherwise, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and, but it, that's just the beginning. That's just like the baby steps in the right direction. When you are sovereign, then it's like you are able to um, be a force in the world, right? Yes, okay. sir. So now the word sovereign, where it comes from in Civilization 1.0 that we're familiar with, mm-hmm. is it refers to kings as being sovereign, someone mm-hmm. who's a um, uh, in, inherits a position, or he's he, you know, the Caesar was sovereign, the, the King of England is sovereign, mm-hmm. and then we think of nation states as being sovereign. Right, right. So I was you know, bring that up. You yeah, have the exactly. sovereign state of Alabama. Yeah. Okay. Supposedly. Yeah. And, it's and, not really sovereign. Know, or the, <laughs> if they were, because, it, if they were, they wouldn't be subject to the federal government. Correct. Yeah. So even in the Civilization 1.0, the word sovereign is a misnomer mm-hmm. when it's applied to states because states that call themselves being sovereign really aren't. Right. And so what we're trying to do is transition into Civilization 2.0 where the word sovereign becomes applied to the individual. You need to be sovereign as an individual, and that involves the choices you make, right? right? If you're going to take responsibility and start to say, okay, I, I feel a need to address this misconception or false authority in the world that other people hold, which is this idea uh, related to money, property, uh, the means of production, whatever it is that you identify as being the, the core issue that needs to, uh, the people, there needs to be a paradigm shift in the minds of uh, the humanity, so that we can, so that we can evolve um, mentally, spiritually, and physically. You know, we need to get to the place where the human race is going to be. Um, what am I saying here? Sovereign. Yes, as individuals, it comes back to individual. It's an individual choice and responsibility. We, as individuals, have to do that. And, if, and when we collectively do that, enough people do that collectively. Then things change. Right. Yes, sir. So that's a bottom-up thing. That is And a it's not a top-down. No, sir. Civilization 1.0 is top-down. It is top-down, and it has been from the very... Well, not from the very beginning, but as soon as... As soon as there was um, a, uh, a man or a male human primate that was able to maintain his position by killing or beating down any of his rivals... And then figured out that he could maintain his position also by stealing from his own people and from other people. Um, that's where sovereignty began. He begins the, with, they simply started as being the better thieves. But what was he stealing? Primarily he was stealing uh, uh, materials. Women. Uh, his women. mates. Oh yeah, his, women, his, mates, yeah, food. So, yeah. You've got a bunch of primates and mm-hmm. you've got the one big guy who's got this chest stuck out. Yep. And, he's, and all the other males avoid eye contact. Mm-hmm. Because if they make eye contact, that could be misconstrued as being aggressive or whatever, and then they get beat down, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And so he goes and has his way with any of the females that he wants to, mm-hmm. and that was the that was the that was the primate, uh, and still is today. And still is today. Still now is something today. happened with our ancestors that changed things. Be, several things is we weren't avoiding eye contact. That's one of the things that's different. We're storytellers. That's another thing that's different. Mm-hmm. So there. Um, we were able to, because we're storytellers, we're able to build bigger communities. We weren't limited to like a certain number, and because we didn't avoid eye contact, there, you know, there we figured out that 
If some guy's sticking his chest out and taking all the available females, then you and I can get together uh, and get some tools and, you know, throw a knit over him and, you know, toss him in the river. That's right. Know? So, I mean... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, now, here's, here's, where, here's where, like, you and I can talk. Okay, so let's say you got your back here in ancient times, right? So, at that point in time, when you say that, let's say that, uh, you know... 30 of us get together, and we build some tools, we throw a net over this guy and toss him in the river, right? Mm -hmm. At that point, then what happens? Do we all gather together and say, okay, we're going to each choose our mates and we're good? Or well, does what somebody stand up and say, I'm the big bad dude now, I'm taking yeah, over. Yeah, yeah. So now you got to kiss my ass, This right? is the liberal thing. You guys, it's not the liberal yeah. thing, it's just that's what happens. I mean... <laughs> Now, Look, we being human hate, beings, we're not animals, so we have a choice. Liberals hate hierarchies. Yes! But not all hierarchies are bad. Not all hierarchies are bad. I'll agree with you. Okay. Yeah, like is, uh, if, is... if, a, if a parent is seeing a kid, their, their child, walking out in the street, they take power over them. They take their hierarchy over them, yeah. and they pull the kid out of the street to save their lives. That's not a bad hierarchy. That's a hierarchy that's designed for the common good and well, the, the preservation good, of the species. Right. The good hierarchy is that you have a pyramid structure and you've got pe one person at the top and you've got a whole bunch of people at the bottom and there's a, there's a division of labor, a gra you know, gradient division that goes up that pyramid. Okay? And mm -hmm. that's, that's what we're talking about, hierarchy, yeah. right? A pyramid. So, yeah. So, provided, as, as long as provided that the one at the top is not taking from the ones at the bottom. That's your point. That's your that's that your is big my issue. Point. Okay, but what I'm saying is that we, the right way to look at this is that it's a uh, a growth hierarchy or a, um, there's so you could say you could say that there's. If well, you start talking about lobsters, I'm going to get real pissed off right now. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> that's Jordan Peterson. I know it is. Yeah. That's what I said. Yeah, he talks about serotonin in the brain. Yeah, if if you want to talk about the biology of it, uh -huh. then. You, you said what happens if we throw the guy in the river, right? Yeah. Well, to be honest with you, what happens biologically is one of the guys that that was involved in uh, organizing that net, throwing that dude mm -hmm. in the net, he's going to take the leadership. It's called a pecking order. Right. And he's going to step up. And you know what biologically, what happens physiologically to your body? What's that? You if you're stronger. the top dog... If you if you stand on top of the if you're the guy the big you know if you replace the guy and you become the ninja guy you not you physically stick out your chest right yes and your testicles drop <laughs> it's not the a balls are dropping <laughs> boy <laughs> that's what happens it's a well, little it, there's physiological changes to sure. the body okay great but I'm gonna point something out to you okay okay and okay so here's the deal the human brain is structured in three layers okay. The first layer, which uh, is the, the brainstem, the medulla oblongata, and that area of the brain, that's called the lizard brain. And the reason that's called the lizard brain is because that's what lizards have. That controls balance, reflexes, breathing, heartbeat, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, the okay? reptilian brain. It's the, the reptilian brain. The ancient part of the brain. Exactly. Yeah. So the next part of the brain is uh, called the mammal brain. That's the hippocampus, the amygdala. And that controls memory and emotion. Mm -hmm. Okay, and the reason it's called the mammalian brain is because that's what all mammals have. You can tell when your dog is happy. You know, your dog remembers who you are. That's the mammal brain. But there's something that human beings have that no other species on the planet has, and that's called the prefrontal cortex. And that's mm -hmm. the part of our brain that exists right in the very front, right mm -hmm. behind our eyes, and that controls logic and reason. Okay. Were, the, were the 
pineal gland, pineal gland. Is that right? Um, that's that's I'm not sure. Cortex. Where pineal gland. Yeah, yeah. yeah for, well, that's no. That the prefrontal cortex is is a part of the brain. That I think the pineal gland, which controls your growth. Well, it has to do with the regulation of melatonin and the degree of sleep, and you know, okay. there's a lot, it's the god gland. It's the it's the part of you where you, you activates when you meditate. And, okay. Yeah. Well, what I'm what I'm referring to is a part that controls logic and reason. Right. It's okay. the prefrontal cortex. Prefrontal yeah. cortex. Now, here's the thing: a advanced chimpanzee mm-hmm. does not have a prefrontal cortex. Mm-hmm. A gorilla does not have a prefrontal cortex. A mm-hmm. baboon does not have a prefrontal cortex. Uh-huh. A human being has a prefrontal cortex. If you don't see where I'm going here, you should. Here's the thing. When human beings gather up and they throw the idiot in the river, they have a part of their brain that other mammals don't have, and that's logic that controls logic and reason. So therefore, they have the ability uh-huh. to step back and say, now wait a minute, what's the most logical, reasonable way of doing this? Instead of just letting their gonads, their testicles drop to their knees and say, I'm going to screw whoever I I want to and I'll beat the hell out of you get near me. And I'm number one now. I was number two. Now I'm number it's one. It's biological. It, it may be biological, but here's the thing. You're saying that we're we've not evolved ruled, beyond it. We've evolved beyond yes. our biology yes. because if we haven't, we wouldn't have this civilization. Yes. 1.0 is yes. screwed up as it is. We wouldn't have it. Yeah, well... We're 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 prog- we're in progress towards uh, civilization 7.0. Yeah, uh, great. But sure. the, it's, it's anybody's guess is whether we're going to actually make it there. Yeah. I mean, we could destroy ourselves on the way. And yeah. so the question is, can we really, uh, with the doubling of time, and you know, we've got nuclear proliferation. Yes. Where, you know, we're, we're we're pouring these um, nuclear waste into the ocean and destroying the oceans. Not to mention superbugs. Um, we're talking about plastic. You know, Bumblebees are being eradicated because of uh, the, the honeybees, honeybees collapse. Yeah, hive collapse. Yes, all I'm going to say the global warming thing. Whatever you can disagree with me on that, but things are changing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the getting... global warming is not man-made. It's it's not an anthropomorphic what, uh, phenomenon. Whatever, but... dude. Uh, go ahead. I'm that's sorry. a po- that's, that's a, a podcast, for podcast for another one because that we'll yeah, have you'll we lose can, that one. We can... <laughs> I don't know about that, man. Oh man, <laughs> that is such bullshit. Okay, <laughs> I agree. Except for I'm coming from the other side. <laughs> it's a religion with you people. Oh, man. Oh, but, man. But what I'm saying is, is that human beings have a prefrontal cortex. Yes. Therefore, we have the ability to logic and reason the yes. best course of action. We don't have to be ruled by our balls. And we don't have to be ruled okay. by our own history and way of doing things. Like, you no. know, we, we've had, we, you know, the hierarchical structure that had worked in the past does not need to be the way we do things in the future because there's problems with it. It's falling apart. It's dude. falling apart. You've got little kids starving to death yes. in the third world, and you got people that in America, because of our poor diet, we'll, maybe we'll talk about that next week, whatever, but, you know, that are fat, and then you've got your 1% up here that basically... If you took away their mortality, they could live like gods. I mean, they, they do what they want to, where they want to, how they want to. We all know that in the American system, look at O.J. Simpson. If you got enough money, you can do whatever you want to, you know? And um, it, there's something wrong with that. And then you got, you know, then you, you know, like you have cops. You have prisons that, that, that are overfilled with people. And they're, they're filled with people not because these people are committing violent crimes, but because they have drug addictions. And then you got private well, speaking prisons. Whose bi- idea was that? Shit, now yeah. people are making money off of that kind of stuff. Yeah, there's really you a know, problem there. Really? Yeah. I mean, come on. There's so much it's, going on. The motivations are all screwed up. That's the point I was yeah. getting at. Look, the, the problem with Civilization 1.0 is that there's uh, 
we have our priorities are working across purposes and the motivations are all wrong you know, like private prisons is a perfect example um, you know and then the war on drugs whenever you declare a war on anything you're going to get more of it absolutely and so this is the whole this is the whole problem uh, civilization 1.0 is has about run its course and you know certainly uh, hope so and so what has to happen is there has to be a uh, paradigm shift in the minds of people. And I think the older generation uh, is going to be more challenging for them to adopt a whole new... Because the, the, the education system in this country was based on... Russia. Uh, I was just going to say that. Yes, sir. Um, so you're aware of this. Oh, yeah. Oh, baby. Yeah. Talk to him. Go on. Okay. So there was a the former German state. Uh, you said Prussia. And yes, sir. I would say the, the, the Weimar Republic. Yeah, the Weimar yeah. Republic. Yeah. So... so or call it Prussia if you want. Well, this goes back to Pre- the, like uh, Frederick the Great. He's yeah. the one that started the the idea of a school system right. that teaches people to honor authority. Yeah. Exactly. That's what it. So mm-hmm. you're more school on this than I am. You I don't know. Talk I just about listen to a couple. Well, you know, of videos, the word, so the word kindergarten is German. Yeah. Exactly. So that's the whole idea. Mm-hmm. So when when this country was deciding what kind of education system, there was there were many choices we could have adopted. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the the European model was what they sometimes refer to as the uh, um, Oxford-Cambridge um, model, where you can go and choose uh, you, your course of study, and you can decide, uh, and you, you're self-guided, and you just go and uh, learn because you're motivated, and you learn and learn and learn. And then when you run into a snag where you, you, know, you need help, that's when you get a tutor involved to help mm-hmm. you. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's a completely different... Um, I didn't know what it was called, but that's actually... Um you know, I've I've actually talked to kids about this, and anybody that would frankly listen, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic, fine. Use the Prussian model, get the basics down. But somewhere around middle school, it's time for kids to start taking responsibility for what they want to learn. Exactly right. And this is one of the things that Civilization 2.0 is going to have to address, because mm-hmm. the, the, the reason that that model was chosen was because we were at the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, and they just wanted people to go into a damn factory. Exactly. That's what they're trying to do. Bells ring. Yeah. Class is over. Yeah. Lunchtime, a particular time. That's it. You go in, you sit down, you do the same thing, you let a boss tell you what to do. Yep. Yeah. But, you know, guess what? More and more factories are going bye-bye. They're going overseas yep. in this country, and yep. robots are taking over. And so people got to start yep. thinking about something different, man. And the education system has been so boring and stupid for so long. Since we were in high school. I work I'm, in the schools, dude. No offense to when any you and I might be listening to me. What was it, like 33 years ago, the two of us? Oh, God, Back yeah. in high school? Yeah. We knew it was f- then. Yeah. <laughs> right? Every teenager knows it's f- man. Right. Every teenager. You yeah. inherently know it's messed up. Yeah. Because you're learning crap you'll never use in the rest of your life, and you right. know it. And I got kids. Look, dude, I had a kid. I had a kid that I met the other day, and she was. She told me if it wasn't for me, she would have never made it through high school. Really? Yeah, that's great. Made me feel good, but you know she dropped out. So uh-huh. you know I don't know how well or good I did. But her and her boyfriend dropped out at the same time. She married him, mm-hmm. and um, you know working. everybody was saying they're not working. They're you know on drugs. Da, da, da. Well, she spent a couple of years on drugs. She did. She got pregnant, stopped drugs, he stopped drugs, and guess what? He got himself a job for $21 an hour in Alaska. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Moving to Alaska in five wonderful, days. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, uh, I grew up in Alaska, and, yeah. you know, um, I mean, it, if some, if I disappear and I'm wanted for some, you know... Uh, if, <laughs> you're going to be, you'll be some if, Inuit village up in Alaska, huh? If, if there's, if there's like a... Uh, 
parole officer who's listening to this right now because I because I absconded. If I absconded, um, then you know, come look for me in Alaska. <laughs> good luck finding you, right? <laughs> good luck finding me. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's hilarious. Uh, but yeah, this this is uh, this this is. I mean, people who move to Alaska are people who understand that the system is fucked, mm-hmm. and they're like, you know what? this I'm, right. I'm leaving yeah and so they and you know they're all black sheep of the family most of them because mm. you know a lot of times people don't want to get too far away from their family that's why right. people stay like i've always wondered why do people live in ghettos why do people live in bad neighborhoods yeah family and the, it's family mm. you know when when guys get out of jail they have to go hunting for them they're you know? right their family that's where they find family them yep. all the time yep every time yep okay and so this is this was just never true for me it's like i when i left arkansas i left high school it's like gone yeah i I remember if i hadn't got locked up i wouldn't be back here yeah right now i'm glad you're back but hey and i'm actually enjoying it i'm enjoying family for the first time yeah my sister's birthday today we went up to rogers and bentonville drove around you know her thing to do on her birthday is go shopping so we went to her favorite store yep and we hit a couple of other places around town we came home with a bunch of goodies Mm -hmm. and uh in fact you know we were going to talk about medical stuff and here we are (laughs) Rambling on about politics and civilization. We've only been talking for an hour. Oh, yeah. But maybe it's time to transition. Yeah, maybe. Um, And, you know, I might just cut this podcast in half or There you go. And putting sovereignty, individual and collective, at the forefront, that place, that, that place where we've actually achieved that, becomes the locus of the highest level of potential innovation. And because it's the locus of high, highest level of potential innovation, it becomes a generative attractor. Because anti-rivalrous is, is uh, Metcalf's law par excellence, meaning the more people who participate, the more value that generates on an exponential level. And so this shifts. We've now shifted from the rivalrous on the game theoretic curve, which is ruinous, to the anti-rivalrous on the game theoretic curve, which is, well, it's perpetual. Like there's, there's nothing that that should continue to proceed until there's, unless there's something about reality itself that causes it to, to sort of elegantly slow down. One question that came out of that, how do you see sovereignty expanding if governments are not aligned or if governments aren't cooperating in general with this concept of individual sovereignty? We are going to have to reinvent governance, which almost certainly will imply routing around government. And I, it's funny, like I said that with a very much straight face. And it's because it's, oddly enough, in the scope of things, actually not that much of a big deal. We're already in the process of doing it. I mean, just think about like, just think about cryptocurrency. One minute before cryptocurrency happened, it was absolutely impossible for anybody to create a currency that wasn't a state actor. Like literally the nanosecond before the Satoshi white paper was published, it was categorically impossible. And, you know, we now sit in the era where it's obviously trivial. There's like, I don't know, tens of thousands of them right now. (laughs) So that's, it's happening. And as it turned out, it's actually in the space of creative genius. And it's just another way of putting it. And particularly collaborative creative genius, which is to say, people being able to enter into collaboration with each other, the power of that is so enormous that these problems end up being prosaic. So government, as big as it is, and it's powerful, don't get me wrong, is actually minuscule in comparison to the potential of what happens if we become artful in these technologies of sovereignty, in these creative coherences. And there's actually something interesting going on right now in the world of blockchain. Uh, broadly speaking, it's actually the whole point is that it's 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 not that. So um, I've become very interested in in a project called Holochain. In fact, I got to tell you right now that even though I don't know for sure, all of my intuitions are telling me that that's a super big deal. 
uh, so much so that I'm pointing a lot of attention at it. And, and the reason why I'm, I'm positioning it as interesting is that it's part of an arc. So if you look at, at the arc, it's basically been Bitcoin, Ethereum, and then question mark, meaning that everything else that's happened in blockchain has been a kind of a, an exposition of those two primary moves. And what's interesting about those two primary moves is they are both moves in the direction of more capacity to engage in collaboration. And Holochain is really quite vastly more of that sort. There's a phrase that, that I like, which is called culture eats strategy for lunch. What the Holochain people seem to have done really well is they got culture right. I don't know if you've spent any time in the crypto universe, but one of the biggest challenges, particularly in the Bitcoin subset of the crypto universe, has been, let's call it, I'm going to call it culture, meaning that all too often they've come into situations where conflict resolution looks an awful lot like 12-year-old kids on a playground. And that's not a particularly effective way to resolve conflict. It's definitely not a particularly effective way to engage in collaboration because it generates hurt feelings. It generates people who feel like the other people are not to be trusted, so it begins to fragment. And so the collective intelligence breaks up. It breaks up physically, meaning people are now sorted into different groups that are now in competition with, with each other and engaging in all kinds of weird stupid shit. But also even the individuals in subgroups are now left with a certain sense of like, wait a minute, maybe this is not a safe place to be and I need to be less trusting of the people around me. So you've got like a decreasing capacity. Holochain actually seems to have spent a lot of work on just building sovereignty as individuals and a group, first and foremost. They've actually been working on this thing for 10 years, well, well in advance of actually Bitcoin existing. They actually work in a different project called the Metacurrency Project. And the group that worked on it actually has consciousness of questions like individual sovereignty and questions like how do we enter into spaces of collaboration? They've actually got really good at that. And on the basis of that, they've actually constructed something which when you double click on it and take a look at the code and the architecture and the design and the strategy is really, really good. Like a lot better than anything else that I've seen. So that's an example. That's an example of two things. It's an example of the fact that we are ambiently discovering that the niche of selective advantage in the contemporary environment happens to be in the place of increasing individual and collaborative sovereignty. If I'm right, Holochain is going to outcompete ETH, Ethereum, which by the way means that I'm moving a lot of my crypto investments into Holo as fast as I can. <laughs> okay, so that, that the niche of com selective competitive advantage is in the space of individual and collaborative sovereignty and that the generativity of that fact is enormous. Right? It's, it's, it, the, what ends up happening as a consequence of getting there is really significant. Like Holochain may be a potential, not right now an actual, but a potential of say a thousand times more creative, more capacity to deliver real innovation into the world than Ethereum has been. Um, and I'd say right now we can say that Ethereum is about a hundred times more creative than Bitcoin, if you look at all the kind of things that were developed in that space. So that's like, that's interesting. I would say right now I'm, I'm making a bold claim, but I could be very well wrong. Um, and I haven't done enough work to be able to feel super confident, but my spidey sense is, is, is telling me that. And it's a really good example of the nature of what we're talking about. The space of collaboration is the fertile field from which springs all creativity and thus all innovation. It has always been that case, but because we're now entering into a situation where the raw level of creativity, the raw level of innovation is the thing. Right, the, the, the thing that matters, it's becoming more and more clear. So if you look at, for example, just like the arc of the culture of technology companies, going back to say Ford, the Ford Corporation, and all the way up to say Google. So Ford, General Motors, IBM, Hewlett Packard, Apple, let's just skip to Google, and there's a whole bunch of other ones in there. 
Microsoft, Google, let's just do something like that. What you'll notice is that in order to achieve a higher level of innovative capacity, which is to say, in order to get more of that thing, which is in fact the competitive advantage, each one of these organizations had to innovate a higher level of collaboration. They had to redesign the underlying nature of what their core culture was in a direction of more capacity to collaborate. Because collaboration, the space of collaboration, is the fertile field from which creativity and thus innovation springs. And because in just straightforward technical innovation or technical capitalism, the ability to be more creative, the ability to be more innovative was the currency of competitive advantage that has shown us the arc. Well, what that means is if we can just find ways to continue to improve our ability to discern these spaces of collaboration, right? how we create environments where human beings are increasingly capable of coming into collaboration with each other, which then means to discern the spaces and the ways in which we can, we can become more coherent with each other, then, and only then, we can achieve higher levels of creativity and achieve higher levels of innovation. Well, we're almost there. You may notice if we kind of listen or rethink about this entire story, discernment and coherence and insight are the characteristics of sovereignty, which is to say that precisely to the degree to which that we become skillful in developing individual sovereignty and creating spaces where we can enter into relationships of increasing sovereignty, that is the most, that, that, that kind of thing, and I'm just going to call that right now a, a creative coherence, that kind of thing, this, this, this gathering together of individuals who are achieving high levels of personal sovereignty and learning how to enter into relationships of increasing collaborative sovereignty, creative coherence, is perfectly aligned with the essence of creativity and innovation. So if what you're doing is you're racing in a conflict of how to go about engaging in innovation, the place to be, you know, to be further along that curve is to be in a space of coherent creativity. And that is the point at which there's a shift from the rivalrous game theoretic dynamics to anti-rivalrous game theoretic dynamics. In a rivalrous game theoretic dynamic, you and I are some, at some point in competition struggling over some thing that one of us can have and the other one can't. And therefore we enter into a psychology and a relationship that's associated with competition at some, at some minimum point. In anti-rivalrous game theoretic dynamics, we're in a situation where my ability to benefit increases every single time your ability to benefit increases, which means that the best possible choice I can make for myself is perfectly in aligned with the best possible choice you can make for yourself. The podcast you just heard was made using Anchor. Ever thought about making your own podcast? Anchor makes it really easy for anyone to get started. It's a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing podcasts. Best of all, it's 100% free. Sign up now at anchor.fm slash new. That's anchor.fm slash new to get started.